0: Those of you who uh, may be visiting with us, maybe first time here with us, my name is Ben James. I am the lead pastor here at First Church. Uh, we are glad uh, to see each and every one of you here. We're glad that you're joining us online as well. Uh, you know, Anytime that there is a, uh, the, the, the subject of mic back and either offering and communion thoughts that are brought up, I can't help but think about a couple conversations that I've had. that always lead with the question with other people in this church of, how many brothers does that guy have anyhow? I mean, it's like because every thought is about another brother story. So we, we don't know if he's making up brothers or if he really does have that many brothers. Maybe, maybe, Mike, next time, maybe next week you can share another one of those. How's that sound? All right. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 10. And we're going to be talking about something that's, uh, I don't know if divisive is the right word, but there's a full spectrum of what can be interpreted and how it's interpretive of this section in regards to spiritual warfare. Uh, I I think that most of the time with spiritual warfare, like many other things in our Christian walk, uh, well, our lives, period, basically, is I don't know if we do a really good job of finding balance with what we believe, how we believe, and where we land on these type of things. Because it seems like there's two types of extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. One is more of a naturalist tendency, and what that means is that everything that happens, everything that's bad that's happening is just a result of living in this world. It's a dark, evil, sin-filled world. It's just... Things naturally happen this way. There's no interference of a spiritual nature whatsoever. There's no attacks from an enemy. There's no henchman that's running around trying to get us. It's all can be reasoned out, and that's one extreme. And the other extreme is those who may get up in the middle of the night and stump their toe on something going to the restroom, and they begin rebuking the devil. You know, it's like, bam, oh, get thee behind me, Satan! You know, that, that kind of thing, because we all know that whenever we stump our toe in the middle of the night, the first thing that comes out of our mouth is an uplifting, edifying word, right? But I mean, you know, people that, that sneeze and they're convinced, you know, because that's where we got the term bless you from. They were convinced at one point that sneezes were demons leaving the body. And we have this, and you know, everything that's, you know, people view things through the lens that... The devil is attacking me. And one of the all-time greatest uh, justifications for dysfunction, in my opinion, is the, uh, the old saying that the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Let, let's, let's have a clarification moment here. Sin makes you sin. Your flesh makes you sin. The, the nature apart from God makes you sin. It's not the devil that does that. But if we begin to move into this passage out of Ephesians, what we're, what we're going to see at the beginning is kind of Paul gives this rallying cry, almost like a going to battle type thing. And, and there's a couple people who are excluded from answering this trivia question. I'm talking about my family, and I'm talking about the McClures. You all are, are banned from answering this one. But one of the more famous pop culture rallying cries is there may come a day that the courage and strength of men may fail but it is not this day who said it what movie no no it's not braveheart pardon no no Who, who said return of the king jordan awesome awesome all right we got one person that knows jesus in the house this morning we got some work to do this winter, that's all I'm saying, okay? Yes, that's Aragorn from Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, it's the greatest thing ever. But yes, this is rallying cry that they are getting ready to charge like into insurmountable odds. And he gives this rallying cry. There's, a, there's another in the films from Rohan and King Theoden. And I mean, it's just, you see these things, these moments from Braveheart, these moments from these movies and these things that we read about this this call to arms, so to speak. And that is kind of the mindset that I have as I'm reading this passage from Paul today. But before we read the whole passage, I'm gonna read to you just the first word that he uses. Out of chapter six, verse 10 of Ephesians. Finally, how many times have you heard preachers say, finally, or in closing, or to wrap this up, and you're sitting there going, you know you're going to preach for at least 10 more minutes. There's no wrapping this up. Listen, every good message has at least three closings. Every good letter has at least three. Check the Apostle Paul's letters. At minimum, three closings. But he says finally here, like he's kind of wrapping things up, only he's not really wrapping things up because he's really getting into a meaty section here, but Basically, Paul is, this word isn't necessarily that he's closing it out. He's drawing to a crescendo here. He's capturing their attention. And what he's doing is he's saying all of this stuff that we have covered up until this point, up until this moment in this letter, all comes to a pinnacle right now. It crescendos right now. So when in chapter 1 he's telling us that all things are done for the glory of God and for him that he's given us every spiritual blessing that he's called us he's chosen us and in the second chapter he's talking to us about this this beautiful moment of being in Christ and how we are in him and it's only through him chapter 3 begins by talking about this beautiful mystery of the gospel about how everyone not only Jewish believers not only the nation of Israel and the Hebrew uh, descent line not only them are being grafted in but the gentiles too about how everyone is doing this and he's saying finally in here that he's talking about you know chapters 4 and 5 that we've covered up to this point is like the work of the saints and that equipping for the work of the ministry and how chapter 5 and even into chapter 6 began to teach us about walking in him so Paul's laid out all of this in this letter take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Finally. So here's what's coming. Here's what you're facing. Here I've given you three chapters of theological sound doctrinal teaching of laying the foundation of this salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and that only being your way to heaven. And he's talking about giving these instructions on the blessings. And then he moves into the more imperative portions of the the letter where he's talking about now these are the commandments that you need to follow. And we've, we've covered those the past several weeks of no longer do this, but now do this. No longer do this, do this and he was building on what we found in jesus talking about in the gospels of you've heard it said but i say to you where he was talking about taking these old things these old external factors that used to determine righteousness and your level of holiness and relationship with god and now he's saying that everything's moved internally Paul actually used the words that you once were darkness, but now you're in the light. And what Paul is wanting to drive home to us here right now is that not only are you in the light, but that darkness that you once were is not happy about you living in the light. Folks, spiritual warfare in our lives is incredibly real. And we face it each and every day. I love how Paul, after he says finally, the first instruction, the first imperative that he gives us. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This phrase is written in a present and passive sense. Let me explain that to you just a little bit. Present means that it's something that's ongoing. It's not something that has been or something that will be. It is something that is ongoing. Day after day after day after day, this is something that needs to be happening. So being strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, that is a everyday present tense walk for us. We closed out last week by talking about that without the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I made it through the entire week without getting fired uh, after the submission message last week. Or, well, I didn't check my mailbox this whole week, so there may be a pink slip waiting in there. I don't know. But we talked about at the end of the sermon last week that none of this, us submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit leading us without his holy spirit leading us then we will not be submissive to one another in reverence to christ and i want to submit to you here that us being strong in the lord is not achievable in and of ourselves that it's only through the power of his holy spirit that we draw our strength amen anybody ever tried to depend on your own strength Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Three people. It's never turned out very well for me. It's not ended well in the end for me to depend on my own strength. And that's the reason that this is in the passive sense. Be strong in the Lord. That in the Lord takes it out of our hands. That takes it out of our power. And in the strength of whose might? In the strength of whose might? His might. Just because it's a passive text doesn't mean you have to passively respond. Kennedy, well done, young lady. So it's a present passive statement here. And it's more than just a statement if we're being honest. This is a commandment. This is an imperative statement. This is not an optional thing. Like hey, when your back's against the wall, Be strong in the Lord. And we're going to see that here in just a little bit. I want us to kind of go a little bit back. And let's look at spiritual warfare from a biblical perspective this morning. So you and I face spiritual warfare each and every day. Now, not everything that we face, and here's where the difficulty of trying to find that balance is, not everything that we face is a spiritual battle. That driver that's in the the fast lane on 64, that's maybe doing 64 miles an hour, that is not the devil engaging you in spiritual warfare. Please do not rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Don't rebuke them in any other name either, or with hand gestures. It's not righteous. But we face moments of spiritual warfare every day. And it's nothing new. We see it in the New Testament as Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus here. But it's not just in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament too. And actually, we not only see it in the Old Testament, we see it even before life on this planet began. Because in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah, they describe a great rebellion and a great Falling in a casting out from heaven of Lucifer. Falling with a third of the angels from heaven because there was a rebellion, a matter of spiritual warfare that happened in heaven. We can look at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden with the original temptation. That, my friends, was spiritual warfare when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. We see it again, I believe it's in, let me see, I've got it written down. 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha, S-H-A, not J-A-H. And they're facing this massive army, and they're outnumbered, and the people are growing in despair. And they're saying that there's no way we can win this. We're outnumbered. And Elisha says, no, 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 we're not. His servant's the one that's giving the voice to the ear. And he prays that, God, I pray that you would open his eyes to see the heavenly host of army that we have on our side and god granted that prayer and along the mountainside along all the hillsides the servant's eyes was open to the spiritual army that they had there in store with them it's a great story you'll read it second kings chapter six but the one that i kind of want to spend the most time here this morning with is the is the spiritual warfare and the temptation that jesus faced so if you you still have your bibles there turn to luke chapter 4 it's the slowest turning bible i've ever had in my life luke chapter 4 now i'm just i'm not going to read the entirety of the temptation passage, but I do want to point out a few things. And I believe uh, a couple things that can encourage us this morning as we're entertaining the spiritual warfare that we face in our own lives. Verse 1, chapter 4 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, again, critical element. I know we're talking about Jesus. But a critical element in spiritual warfare is being full or being filled with the Holy Spirit, it said he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he experienced Satan's temptation. He fasted for forty days, forty nights, no food, no no, no drink, no water, and he had to endure. Satan's temptations. And as we read these particular temptations, you will see that what the enemy comes at Jesus with is Scripture. But it's not Scripture presented in its right context. And You all know me. One of the things I'm passionate about is Scripture in context. So basically, he was presenting them He was presenting Jesus with twisted scripture. Now, 80s hair bands fan, I'm not saying twisted sister. Twisted scripture. So he was taking this temptation and he was trying to fool Jesus and get him to compromise and worship him. So we see that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Guys, can I tell you that even in the midst of the worst moments of your life, the times that you are facing the most intense battles and warfare that you could ever remember, there is a purpose for that in your life. When you're being tempted beyond anything that you can ever recall, tempted beyond anything that you can ever remember, know that God has a purpose for what you're going through. You'll never be able to convince me that it was enjoyable for Jesus to be in that wilderness. You'll never convince me that it was enjoyable for Jesus to be going without food and water. You'll never convince me that it was enjoyable or easy for him to face the temptations of Satan during that time. But the one thing that God was doing in him in the midst of this desert season, in the midst of this wilderness, in the midst of this loneliness and desperation, was that he was empowering him, and he was moving him from one place to the other. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that this morning. Because no matter how alone that you feel, no matter how desperate that you feel, no matter how doubting that you are in that moment, know that the place that you're in, you're in there as a providential move by God to do something in you. And do not dare give up in the middle of this wilderness and desert experience because God's doing something in you that you're going to come out the other side of it. More, you're going to come out... Closer and more powerful than what you went into it. If you depend upon the Holy Spirit to get you through. Jesus went into the wilderness, into the desert place, led by the Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit. We don't have to get into any details here, but I want you to think in your mind of moments in your life that you thought that there is no getting through this. There is no way I'm getting through this. Hope is gone. It's too dark. It's too dry. I'm too alone. There's nothing that can happen that's going to save me from this despair. My favorite two words, but God intervenes. But God delivers but God gives you strength, but God provides something for you that nothing else on this earth could have. No one else, you couldn't do it for yourself, your family couldn't do it for you, but God brought you through, and you come out stronger in your relationship with him than what you went into it. What if, because we all know, we all know this past year and a half, going on two years now, about the struggles that everyone's faced, the hardships, the trials, the temptations, everything that's been going on. What if this is a moment that when we come out on the other side of this, that this church, the church as a whole, the men and women of God, sons and daughters can rise up and in history look back and go that we went into this season led by the Spirit, but we came out in the power of the Spirit, in a greater measure of dependency on His Holy Spirit. What if this time that none of us would have chosen? What if this time that all of us have been miserable in? What if this time that we've experienced struggles beyond anything we've ever experienced? What if God is doing something in our hearts that would have never been done before, but God brings us through on this other side of this, and we come out stronger? We come out more passionate. We come out more loving. We come out more graceful. And the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and his goodness of salvation is heard louder and clearer and further than what it's ever been heard before. Is that not worth it? But God. So these moments of spiritual warfare in your life, Don't view them as a divine punishment. Don't view them as God's abandonment on you or that he has forsaken you. I I kind of view them as uh, God's trying to teach me a lesson. And I I really want to pass the quiz at the end the first time because I've found that if I don't, I have to repeat it. And go through the whole thing again. I really don't like going through things again. So I really want to learn the lesson that he wants me to learn. I want to, whatever is being developed in me, whatever is being exposed in me, whatever is being revealed in me that doesn't need to be there, I want it taken care of the first time through. One of the more powerful quotes that I've heard in my life, and, and it came to me through, uh, through w- one of my leaders at the time. Uh, his name is Scott Gillum. He's in Florida now. But he told me this as I was talking about, I was a young pastor, first ministry, and I was really upset, really struggling. And I was, to be honest, I was deeply, deeply wounded and hurt at this moment. He told me, he said, Ben, never forget that God's purpose in your life. God's vision in your life provides purpose to your pain. So vision in your life gives purpose to your pain. Because we all have pain. And we all have a purpose. But I don't always allow that pain give power to it so let's let's move on through this passage in Ephesians verse 11 put on this is a commandment this is an imper. this is an imperative this is not an option believers put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil Notice the phrasing there. Schemes. Or some of your translations may say devices. It's plural. It's not singular. And I, uh, I like to tell a little bit of, a, of an example, give you a little bit of an illustration here. I worked on the river for Marathon uh, for a few years. And it was the 30 days on, 30 days off thing. And we would build tow, we would take it up and down the uh, river system. But, and sometimes you, you would think just, okay, rectangular barge, rectangular barge, rectangular barge, rectangular, that everything matches up. Well, these things aren't made by cookie cutter. So not all of them are the exact same dimension, exact same size. Sometimes you have empties which set much higher in the water uh, right beside of, of loaded barges which set very low in the water. And I remember one time being out there, I was, we were running shorthanded, so I was working, uh, I was working into my 18th straight hour of, of building tow, um, and you could ask my wife, I was tired and I was hungry, um, and that usually doesn't equate to the best attitude uh, with me. But we were out there and we were trying to finish building this toe, but we were one wire away from being able to do it. And it was pretty critical, and it was a steering wire, which meant that all the pressure went onto this one whenever the boat would try to turn. And we could not figure it out. Like, could not. We took every bit of rigging out there that we could possibly do. We tried to run everything that we possibly could. And it took us almost six hours to figure this out of how to effectively run it. Captain involved everything. And finally, we figured something out that worked well. And then like three or four months later, we run into the same situation. How long do you think it took us that time to run that one? It wasn't six hours. Why? We ran that a first time. I was like, hey, guys, you remember what we did? They were like, yeah, let's do that again. That'd be great. We can go in and eat some cookies. Hey. So we did that within a matter of a half an hour of getting all the tow bill. The difference was because we knew what worked. Your enemy's no different. When he finds something, when one of his schemes works in your life, guess what he's going to go to? Over and over and over and over again. But the reality is is even when you recognize that and go, okay, I'm falling prey to this scheme. I'm not going to fall prey to that any longer. The enemy doesn't go, Ah, well, we got to move on from this guy. (laughs) He's, He's too smart for me. He done figured it out. No, he doesn't leave you alone. He finds something else. There's another scheme There's another device, there's another attack, there's another onslaught that's coming your way, and we have to be ready for it, and that's why Paul has given us the imperative command to put on the armor of God. And when he goes on in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. These are given in a tense that is to put on and not take off. In subsequent weeks, we're going to get into these items and these pieces that Paul gives us that is that make up the armor of God. But for right now, understand something: that it's not a piece of a, a, a suit of armor that you put on long enough to fight a battle, and then you take it off until the next battle comes. Paul's saying, put on the whole armor of God and leave it on, because you have an enemy that will not relent that will not cease, that hates you, and wants to see your ultimate demise. Greg read it for us a little bit earlier in John 10.10, 10, which, hey, we're October 10.10. 10. <laughs> Who would have thought of that, right? I Kevin, I should have let them think that I planned that. would have sounded so much better. But John 10.10, 10, that the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what his purpose is for your life. Put on the whole armor of God. And and the last thing that I kind of want us to make sure that we give attention to this morning is verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Know what you're battling, and maybe just as importantly, know what you are not battling against, for we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Your neighbor isn't your enemy. Your political counterpart is not your enemy your work co-workers are not your enemy you know because i mean i think that all of us could identify areas that we struggle with you know and sometimes maybe if we're on the a, a little too uh sensitive side of everything is the devil or everything's a demon and everything's spiritual warfare the person that you lay down next to at night is not spiritual warfare it's not your enemy Okay, well, I don't consider my spouse my enemy, but I tell you, we are joined at the hip. We are in this together. We are fighting the same battle, and the battle, it's got a name. It's called my kids. We're fighting against all of these. If you've got multiples, then they tend to multiply. You don't know where they come from. There's another kid. Where, where did the, how did that happen? It's not your finances. You wrestle against flesh, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And I've said this before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it, because it's true for all of us. One of the things that I tell the staff as we bring new staff in and encourage them with is, <laughs> I'm glad you're all sitting down because this is going to be a revelation. Ministry is hard. Ministry can be difficult at times. And there will be times that you're going to feel really, really, really personally attacked. But your enemy is not that person. That attack is not personal. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, the enemy will try to manipulate that. He will try to deceive you. The name the devil is deceiver. He will try to deceive you to make you think that your brother or your sister is your enemy. will make you think that your neighbor is your enemy. will make you think that person who believes differently, who acts differently, who thinks differently, who talks differently than you do, he will try to deceive you into thinking that that person is your enemy. But they're not. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the moment that he can get our eyes off of Jesus and focusing on something or someone else, guess what? You begin losing the battle. I'm going to ask our praise team if they would to come back up this morning. I want to leave you with this thought in closing today. Finally, in my first closing. The question you may have running through your head is, but I thought that we, I thought the devil was defeated. thought we were facing a defeated enemy. Didn't that happen at the cross of Calvary? Yes, it did. The ultimate victory was won on the cross. But the devil hates you. And I know that that's a strong, strong term. It's a strong statement. Let me explain to you why. The devil, what we were talking about, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, he was cast out because of rebellion because he wanted to be in the place of God. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be like God. He gets cast out. And then, lo and behold, what does God make on this big ball of gas that's turning around here? He takes the dirt from the earth, the dust from the earth, and he forms it into mankind. And what does he form it in? Whose likeness was mankind made in? His own likeness. The very thing that the enemy wanted more than anything to be, so much that he would rebel against God in heaven, he sees in mankind as he sees us made in the image of God. And even though he's completely defeated, He's not stripped of everything. So as you fight this spiritual warfare, these battles that come to you, remember one thing. We fight from a place of enforcing victory, not obtaining victory. Victory is not yours to obtain, but it is yours to enforce because the battle's already been fought. The victory has already been won And now we fight from a place that we stand in the power of his Holy Spirit to fight the enemy that is coming at us each and every day. Pray with me if you want.